Another thing that I think is really important as a very basic management building block is that you have regular one-on-ones with the people that report to you. That is like the building block for creating trust. Richard Branson, Michael Phelps, Justin Timberlake, James Carville. Wait a minute. Where are the women? Greta Gerwig, Lisa Ling, Audra McDonald, Simone Biles. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. They all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that now, do you? You know what else you don't hear about? Are the 43% of people with ADHD who are in excellent mental health. Why aren't we talking about them and what they're doing right? I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka, and that's exactly what we do here. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, and now the author of my new book, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm also a certified ADHD coach and the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a patented system that helps ADHD women just like you get unstuck and fall in love with their brilliant brains. Here, we embrace our too muchness and we focus on our strengths. My guests and I credit our ADHD for some of our greatest gifts. And to those who still think they're too much, too impulsive, too scattered, too disorganized, I say no one ever made a difference by being too little. Hello, hello, hello. I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 250 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. So you know that my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Not one. And so, of course, I am just delighted to introduce you to Antonia Bowering. Antonio Bowering is a top executive coach who works with founders, C-suite executives, and leadership teams. One of Antonio's areas of expertise is helping neurodiverse leaders create the necessary scaffolding to leverage their gifts and maintain their focus. She is a frequent speaker to companies and groups on topics ranging from mindfulness, ADHD in the workplace, and communication best practices. Her articles through the Forbes Coaches Council are widely read and the American Reporter named her one of the top 10 leadership coaches to watch in 2022. Her new book, Coach Yourself, Increase Awareness, Change Behavior, and Thrive, offers practical frameworks exploring the power of performance coaching to become the best version of yourself. Antonia lives in New York City with her family. In her free time, she does improv, stand-up comedy, and participates in endurance fitness challenges. She's training for a 515-mile solo trek on the northern route of the Camino de Santiago in Spain. Oh, and she also speaks three and a half languages. Welcome, Antonia. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you for that very warm and thorough introduction. I love it. So I'm curious, how do you speak three and a half languages? Well, English is quite good. 
French is pretty good because I was raised in Canada. Uh Uh, Spanish is very good. And Italian, I lived there for two years. So that's that. Ah, well, I'm impressed. Thank you. So you probably know if you've listened to this podcast that I always want to talk about the ADHD journey first. I think it just connects our guests to our audience. So Mm -hmm. would you mind starting there? Yeah, I would be happy to. And when, so I'll start with very typically, because I listen to several of your podcasts and this is quite typical through my son. My son was diagnosed at the end of middle school and I was like, oh yeah, that sounds like me. And when I grew up, nobody had this vocabulary. You know, I will never forget knocking over the vase of flowers on Sister Marjorie Fletcher's desk at the end of the school year in grade four. And, you know, I feel that shame in my body as I even say that because I just could not control myself or my body. So long history of signs of it, but I didn't know what to call it. And it took me a few years to get an actual diagnosis. I want to say three. And I did it after a very particular journey, which I'm happy to give you a few details about if you want. Sure. So it was in COVID and I did, in full transparency, uh, I did a, you know, psychedelic medicinal journey in California, Mm -hmm. actually, Ah. for a weekend. And I... I'm impulsive and curious and a seeker and all those great things, uh, impulsivity being a mixed blessing, and in this case, a great blessing. And I went and did this on the recommendation of someone with a, a great guide. And I came out and I came home and I got the diagnosis. And it really, I will say, in all honesty, has been life changing. So hold on one second. So how did you go from, and when you say psychedelic medicinal journey, what are we talking about, number one? And then number two, how did you go from there to, I'm going to go get diagnosed? Because I assume you really suspected at that point you had ADHD. It was always in the back of my mind. And I went as far as to call and find out pricing, but I never activated. Okay. Then, you know, to be honest with you, this is a little bit of the specialness of this kind of journey, which was two days in a little, I don't know, kind of cabana in north of San Francisco somewhere. And it involved MDMA and psilocybin. Okay. With a very experienced guide. And again, you know, I don't want to sell something. I'm just telling you what my experience was. Mm -hmm. I did not go with the idea, oh, I want to do something about my ADHD. It wasn't even on my mind. And I came out of it. I came home. I called and booked it the next week. And it it was almost like for me, the, the best way I can describe it is it was like one of those red on and off buttons. It just got flipped on, and then I just debated on following through. 
And within a couple of months, I had it. So I'm curious, the reasons behind deciding to do this psychedelic medical journey. I mean, I've, I've read and I've heard people um, speak about it. Tell me about, you know, that, oh, maybe they had really bad migraines or they suffered mm-hmm. with really bad anxiety. Most of us have seen, I think, um, oh my gosh, the, the CNN anchor with the silver hair who, oh, I don't know yeah, if you yeah. saw, he yeah, did yeah. an episode on this. It was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. His mother you know is I mean. the, yeah, I do. I do. Gloria. Uh, Gloria. Gloria. Yeah. Yeah. The jeans, the jeans. She came out with the Vanderbilt, jeans, right? Yes. Vanderbilt. Very good. We will figure out his name. It's kind of like, now what is this? You write with it? Oh, yeah. 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 Soul. Yeah. I see him. Anyways, go on. I know. And then we can't get to the next thing, right? Because you're thinking about it. So my question is, what made you decide to go on this journey? Yeah. So I am really at heart what I would say seeker slash curious slash, you know, lifelong learning mindset type. And I was out for a walk with a friend who told me that her business partner had gone and done this. And honestly, she said, and you know what? He came back a nicer person. Yeah. And I thought, well, gosh, that's all I need to hear. Sign me up. And COVID got in the way at the beginning and, and then it, it finally got scheduled and we did it. And honestly, I didn't really know what I was jumping into. That's very typical of me, but so I you trusted. you had no real reason to do it. It was just new experience. Yes. And. Oh my gosh. And well, I don't know you well enough, Tracy, to tell you all my deep, dark secrets, but there were a couple of things I thought I might explore. And, okay. and you know, there is a huge amount of research done by uh, an organization called MAPS. Yep. And Rick Doblin has been, you know, at the forefront of this for decades. And I am a profound believer in exploring tools we have different tools that work for different people. And there is some compelling research that MAPS specifically looks at the MDMA therapy. And I think it also looks at the combination with uh, psilocybin. And there are some phenomenal results. And I am a big advocate, but I would never tell someone to do it or expect it to be a panacea. Did you find it life-changing? Yes. My diagnosis, I, if I could give you an image, it was like getting the diagnosis, which was absolutely not a surprise at that point, was almost like I could feel shame wash off me. And then, you know, I spend a lot of time as an executive coach talking about reframing and what's Mm -hmm. your self-narrative. And, and I went back and I looked at all these things in my life and I kind of went, oh my God, that's what was going on. It's not that I'm a bad person who can't focus, who can't listen, who, who, whose attention wanders. Actually, just my brain is wired differently. Yeah. Yeah, it's a reason, not an excuse. 
It's a reason, not an excuse. Yes, exactly. So I have a couple follow-up questions. I'm curious, what type of ADHD was your son diagnosed with? The hyperactive and also very slow processing speed. Mm, that's interesting. And then were you diagnosed with, so was that combined type basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you, were you diagnosed with combined type as well or did they tell you? Yeah, yeah, combined. Okay. So once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as clearly ADHD? Oh, yeah. So I'm very extroverted and I have a very, very hard time focusing in a crowd. And many people over the years have said things to me like, you know, different variations of you're not listening to me. You're, am I not good enough? You're looking at the crowd. No, that's not it. I just can't focus on you in a crowd. I now have a strategy for that. I'm also very impulsive. I could give you a long list of examples of, of where impulsivity has not helped. Hiring a babysitter without doing reference checks because I wanted oh. to get it done. Yeah. And Fast forward a year and she was in Rikers having stolen from various employers. Well, at least it was just from stealing. I mean, yeah, you know, right, you got right, off not, easy, right? Right, exactly. Not not leaving my son, you know, abandoned somewhere. Right. right. Um, or worse, and, taking him with her. Yeah, right. So I would say with me, impulsivity, distraction, and focus, yeah, I... I often end sentences in the middle. I start something and then drift off. But I will say, Tracy, never when I coach. Okay, so I am so surprised to hear all of this about you because I always listen to whatever materials I can find on a guest before they come on just to get to know them. And you, when you speak, are so measured, so deliberate, so linear. And you know what? It's probably because that is your gift, right? That is your area of extreme interest. And so you're not all over the place at all. Mm. Well, do you know that? You know that, right? Thank you. And I have, without going into ages, I I have a lifetime of building scaffolding Mm -hmm. before I got a diagnosis, right? Yeah. And so there's a lot of scaffolding there. I would say that I did very, very well in school. Very, very well in all my multiple degrees because I always kept going back because I didn't know what to do next. Yes. Um, But I would say that I probably put in three times the amount of work of anybody else. and. I had this conversation with a client the other day and, we, and, and I, I felt a bit teary when we talked about it. I always felt I had to get the professor or the teacher to love me, to like me because, oh my God, I need every hand up, step up I can get because if they really know me, they'll know I'm not that smart, not that good. So I got to play every angle. I got to work three times as hard. I have to be 
three times as engaged in class, and I have to make sure they like me. So you were a people pleaser? I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. How were you? So it sounds like in school, no problem at all, right? As far as the academics, the work. What about socially? Did you struggle there? Mm. I struggled in the sense that I bounced. Like, if you said to me, what do you remember about growing up? I would say two things. The image that comes to mind is a chicken with its head cut off. Like, literally, like, kind of, and, and confused. I feel like I didn't read some of the social cues right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was too much or too fast. I'm very fast. That's something I've had to really, really, really work at. And I hear you saying this and I watch you sitting there and you're so calm and you're so elegant. So fast meaning you don't talk fast, but you're fast in how you move in the world, like physically fast, how you get things done. How, yeah. Yeah. How I get things done. And it's more important to get it done than get it right. Ah. And oh my goodness, there's so many examples of this, but I can't stop moving. Like I was watching something, the, my, it's a joke in our family. Can you really sit down and watch this? Or are you going to fold laundry, type on your laptop, knit a scarf? Like, can you just sit and be? And every 15 minutes say, wait, wait, what happened now? What? Right, right. My family it, gets so mad about that. Yeah, that is my lifelong journey. By the way, I did, and it almost killed me, a 10-day silent meditation. I read about that in your book. Okay, what is that and how in the hell do you get through that? Is that literally 10 days, no talking whatsoever? Talking, no talking, no talking. And guess what? Worse than no talking, no writing, no reading. What are you doing the whole time? Well... Good Were you question. with a group of people? Yeah, but not talking. Uh, it was a Vipassana 10-day silent meditation. And again, I didn't look into it. I was like, <laughs> I should do that. And by the way, I do believe all these different things I've done, MDMR, e- EM, EMDR, there, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, EMDR. Um, EMDR, tapping, internal family systems. Like, you name it, Mm -hmm. that's part of what I bring to my coaching, right? Yeah. There's a different array of tools out there. But back to Vipassana, I just decided to do it. And interestingly, it was very, very hard physically because you're sitting at all these different meditation times. Luckily, I had my own room. Thank God I didn't have to share one. And... All I was just thinking about was when is my next meal, you know, and it was really, really hard, so hard. And I was so worried about forgetting some of the things I was thinking about that I used my eyeliner to write on a like a little receipt I found or a napkin or something like these like notes through the week. So the concepts you didn't want to forget. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ask me why I had eyeliner. 
I know for that kind of a retreat, but hey, I would have had it too. So when you would go down for meals, were you allowed to talk then? No. No. Why would you sign up for this? This sounds like hell. Nothing. You know, it was really hard. I remember crying and lying in my bed and the kind of one of the staff, I don't know what to call them, actually gave me a heating pad for my back. And that was so nice. It was a fantastic experience, actually. I was going to ask, was it worth it? Yes. Yes. What did it teach you? Uh, It taught me to slow down. It taught me to be able to experience what that feels like and return to that feeling. I actually have a very, very consistent meditation practice now. And that was, I I had the meditation practice before I did the 10-day silent retreat, but the consistency improved after I did it. I bet. And I would think that for someone who is extroverted, this must be so hard because like you, I am extremely extroverted. I get my energy from other people. But if I can't communicate with them and they're just there and I have to get all my energy internally, I don't know if I could do it. I mean, did you have times where you thought, I'm leaving? I can't do this. Yeah, I did. Yeah. 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 Well, and also for the perfectionists among us, I've, I've listened to some of your podcasts. You had an excellent one on perfectionism recently. You keep wondering, whoa, am I doing it right? Am I really meditating? Uh, I don't feel uh, enlightened enough. Is this right? Is this So it's kind of letting go of all that chatter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was a great experience. I, want, I will do another. I was uh, just going to ask you, would you do it yeah, again? Yeah, yes? I would. Yeah. And I would love to try a month-long one. Oh, my. Yeah. Not now. It wouldn't work with my life right now a month, but yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. You're a much better woman than I am. That's for sure. No, I'm not. <laughs> so what has changed since you were diagnosed? Well, I want to say I'm doubly thrilled today because today is actually the day my book is published. Oh, I didn't and know that. Yeah. Yeah. And so what has changed? I am infinitely more confident. I am infinitely more comfortable with myself. I am infinitely able to look ahead and identify goals and feel excitement, intention, and the resilience needed to achieve them. And it's changed my coaching journey. I coach more leaders with ADHD. This book has a chapter on ADHD and certain case studies, but my next body of work will be more focused here because I want to get rid of or help people integrate the shame and the pain and move forward as their competent whole selves. 
So what made you write Coach Yourself, Increase Awareness, Change Behavior, and Thrive? Mm -hmm. So I started writing for Forbes, and then I one day got a call from Wiley and said, do you want to write a book? And I mean, sometimes, you know, opportunity knocks, right? And there were a lot of people that were, well, no one reads books anymore. Don't do it. It really spoke to me as an opportunity because I thought, you know, there's about a dozen frameworks I use, mm -hmm. both, both with ADHD clients and with neurotypical clients, but I use them over and over and over. And I thought, hmm, executive coaching is expensive. How mm -hmm. do I make this more accessible? And putting this in a book, um, I, I will talk to any group about it for free. Like I'm give forward, give back. I'm at that time in my life. And they work. Yeah. So do you think being diagnosed actually made coaching for you? You already said it made you a better coach. Did it make coaching more fun for you? Hmm. That's a very good question. Did it make it more fun? My short answer would be no. But it made it possible for me to bring more of my whole self. Hmm, which sounds like it, that would be more fun. Really yeah. being more of who you are. Maybe the, the right word would be it lightened it. Ah, it made yeah. it easier. Yeah. So in your experience, having coached a lot of, you know, C-suite executives, I am curious what percentage of them either have an ADHD diagnosis or they have so many ADHD traits that you recognize. Is it kind of a lot of them? It is some of them. And it skews strongly to founders and early stage high growth companies. Okay. Yeah, definitely. There is a body of research. The fact that a lot of founders are neurodiverse. And I see it. In you know what they're actually really great at is when they're doing capital raises, because when you're doing a capital raise, that is your life, right? You, there's a million balls in the air. Capital raise to you know fund your your find investors for your company, and at the same time you have to let go of a lot of other things. So it gives you this intense focus, mm. but a lot of balls in the air inside of that intense focus. And I find a lot of my clients excel in the, that moment. Do you think those clients tend to be hyperactive combined type versus inattentive ADHD? Or do you have clients that are inattentive as well in those positions? I would say more hyper and combined than I, I mean, we do see the inattentive more with women is, is mm -hmm. what I understand from the research and the dreaminess and the, yeah, it makes me very sad how often it's misdiagnosed. Absolutely. So I love that you're clearly influenced by Martin Seligman, you know, and positive oh psychology. He's one of my heroes. And that you focus on strengths rather than trying to 
I don't even know if this is true, but I'm going to say it, shoring up the weaknesses. I mean, clearly there are things that we don't do particularly well. And that can be unique to each individual with ADHD, right? But can you talk more about the importance of positive emotion and focusing on what you do well? Mm -hmm. Sure. So the way I like to talk about this with my clients is, and the way I write about it, is I like to talk about the profound and the practical. And the profound are some of the issues you and I have been talking about. You know, changing your self-narrative. Like, re, you know, really looking back and, and, and also owning your, your successes. A lot of, I call them ADHDers. A lot of ADHDers don't do that. They, they, there's so much shame, that shame cycle that they don't own them. So I call that like the profound piece. The, the piece also a lot of people work out through therapy if, if they're privileged enough to do that. And then there's the practical, right? And the things we have to get done every day. And it's both, for me, one of the key messages is letting go of a perfectionist mentality that you have mm -hmm. to be good at all of it. And I have clients that are privileged enough, you know, most of them, to have assistants, to have people on their teams who can do things for them that they're not that good at. Mm -hmm. Different question, will they let go of it? Yeah. But they have that possibility. And that is a really easy way to think about, well, what am I good at? What do I like doing? What am I in the flow? Versus what do I not like doing? What am I not good at? And how do I get someone else to take on that responsibility for me? Sometimes even, you know, some of my clients, we even talk about that within their marriages. What are you doing because you think you should be doing that as the, you know, the husband in this family, mm -hmm. but actually your spouse is better at it. Can we have a conversation about thinking about taking on different roles and responsibilities? Yeah, absolutely. My book, ADHD for Smartass Women with HarperCollins' William Morrow, is now available for pre-order, and I need your help. I wrote this book to change the conversation around ADHD because I was certain that it was wrong. And I knew that because every single time I met one of you, it confirmed again what I say on this podcast every episode. But I've never met an ADHD woman that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. Let's help as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. Let's help as many women as we possibly can fall in love with their ADHD brain. Pre-order my book at ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. And when you do, you're going to get access to all kinds of bonuses like two live workshops with me. One on what ADHD really looks like in women for November. Another on ADHD stress and sleep, specifically how to get better sleep. And these are strategies that work and they're from a former denier of the importance of sleep who has since been reformed. You can ask my husband about that. That one's in December. You'll also get our ADHD for Smartass Women appendix, where we've curated the best books, websites, directories, and tools for falling in love with your ADHD brain. 
all for the cost of a $28 book. I'm super excited to share some advanced praise for this book. From Publishers Weekly, Otsuka adapts her podcast of the same name into an accessible debut guide aimed at helping women to harness their neurodivergent traits to achieve their goals. Those new to their diagnoses will glean as much valuable insight from Otsuka's strategies as from her explanations of such matters as why emotional regulation is more difficult for neurodivergent women than neurotypical women. Delivered in lucid and unpretentious prose, this is a solid starting point for those just beginning to learn about ADHD and its effects on the brain. From Dr. Edward Hallowell, author of 22 books on ADHD, she was born to deliver a message. You will see it bursting out on every page. Thanks to her, dot, 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 the textbooks are being rewritten. From Katherine Ellison, Pulitzer Prize winner and author of Buzz, A Year of Paying Attention. Tracy Otsuka's sparkling smart-ass positivity pours over these pages, powerful enough to lift the lowest self-esteem. From Dr. Christine Lee, clinical psychologist and host of the Make Time for Success podcast, Otsuka is truly the caring and wise fairy godmother of women with ADHD. And her book, ADHD for Smartass Women, is the lifeline, roadmap, guidance, and inspiration you've been looking for. You can find ADHD for Smartass Women, the book, at ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. Go order it right now before you forget. I know you. So... In your book, you also, and this made me actually chuckle when I read it, you talk about the importance of learning how to manage up. And that's probably for lower level executives, correct? Yeah. And that is literally a question I ask of every potential employee that I interview. Do you know how to manage up? Can you manage up? Because I always want to work with people who do this, right? I also, I love delegating because then I don't have to do the thing that I don't want to do, but then I am absolutely awful at training. I mean, it's literally like throw it at them, figure it out, and don't bother me, right? Because going through the step-by-step -step of explaining what needs to be done is just so painful for me. And I have a feeling that many ADHD people are like me. And I wanted to know what would you recommend in those instances? What do you tell your clients? Because I'm talking about the managing up from the opposite standpoint. So the managing up from being the manager. Right. And we should explain. Can you explain what managing up means? Yeah, sure. Sure. So there's manage up, manage across, manage down, right? If mm -hmm. to put it in those terms. And manage across is how do you collaborate and work with your peers, right? How do you manage those relationships with authenticity, productivity, and collaboration? Obviously, managing your own team members is, is straightforward. We all know what that means. Setting them up for success through your coaching and managing, right? And then there is managing up, which is how do you, there's a bunch of different components there. How do you show up as your best self and ensure that your manager sees that? That's one aspect. Another aspect is 
how do you help your manager be successful in their role, right? Yeah. And I would actually say, Tracy, that almost everyone needs to think about managing up, even if you're CEO of a company, because, you know, there's a, a lot of the most important decisions about your career, regardless of your level, will be made when you're not in the room, right? Yeah. If you're a founder and you're, you're looking for investment dollars, you're not necessarily in the room when they make that decision. Now, is that managing up or across? We could debate. Your CEO, you have a board. You report to a board. Mm-hmm. Boards have um, in-camera sessions when you're not there where they talk about things, including you. Yeah. You got to manage that relationship up too. So there are lessons there for every level of wherever you are in your career. I mean, I always think about it as managing up for me means that you're going to take responsibility even before I asked you to do that. And so I have a rule that don't come to me, please, asking how to do something if you haven't gone to three resources before you come to me to figure it out. And sometimes that makes me uncomfortable. You know, if there's employees that are managing up, managing me, basically, making sure that, you know, I'm getting done what needs to get done and they're getting from me what they need to get from me so that they can do what they need to do. And sometimes it makes me uncomfortable because you're basically giving them carte blanche to go make decisions. And sometimes there, you know, there's going to be mistakes. And so I have to realize that, okay, I asked the person to do it. I told them, you know, to make those decisions. And so I can't get upset now, right? We just need Mm -hmm. to figure out how do we turn this around and make it a win? Because I always believe that when you make a mistake, there is probably a bigger lesson in that than when you don't make a mistake, right? When there's nothing really to learn. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot in there. So first of all, we're all different managers, right? Yeah. And we, everyone who reports up to us is also a unique individual. And there's a bit of a dance there, right? To Mm -hmm. find the right, you, you may work with someone who needs very little direction. You may work with someone else who needs more, but the quality of what they produce is worth that extra input from you, right? That's part of the dance of figuring these things out. Also, when I think of managing up, it really is thinking about if, if Tracy, if you're my boss, mm-hmm. not only what do, what do I need to do for you that is going to fulfill my job responsibilities? Yeah. It's thinking about, well, Tracy, what's coming up for you? Yes. And how do I help you? Yes. Like, how do I think about a situation, not just from my perspective, but from yours? How do I make your life easier? Yeah. Right? How do I become your right hand that you're indispensable? I can't do without. I mean, and I have, I have employees like that that are, I, I, you know, I feel panic when I think about if they're not there, right? Because it's just amazing what they're able to accomplish. So going back to the question of if you, you know, have this ADHD brain, we don't like the boring mundane. What do you tell us in situations where 
we're really not great managers when it comes to training people. It's more just throwing people out there and, well, let me know if you need anything. Like it's, and, and I've created systems, but is that enough? You can just hand them the system. You can just hand them the, you know, the Google Doc that has all the points of how to get X done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus not making yourself more available, right? Which, I mean, that's a relationship. That's important. Yeah. So first of all, I think what you said is really important that depending on you can't scale without putting things into some kind of process, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's just chaos. Yeah. To scale, you need things written down. People, people need to know how to do things and they need to know what they're accountable for, right? Because our time is our scarcest resource. So that is a very important piece. The other piece is, uh, and I do this, I'm like you, I don't love all that explaining and I just want you to like do it and take it off me. So I also work with someone who's very good at that and I let her do that more patient mm. training. Mm -hmm. Now, not everybody has that luxury. Yeah. So another thing that I think is really important as a very basic management building block is that you have regular one-on-ones with the people that report to you. So I truly believe that is like the building block for creating trust. And so if you have that one-on-one, -on -one, that then creates a built-in time where you can review things. They can ask questions. Mm -hmm. They can feel heard. Yeah. And valued, right? And valued. I know in your book, I found this fascinating. You were talking about why we need more coaches today. And what you said, which I'd never thought about, is the fact that managers, they just don't have the time anymore, which mm -hmm. is awful. So it's almost like the coach is the one who helps the, the managee, is that what you call it? That the managee with their growth, right? In the company rather than the manager. And that's why a lot of times coaches are brought in because there's just no longer time. And so my question is, why is there no longer time? Is it because of the web and the level of learning and how there's this new app and that, like, why is that? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we answered the first question. I can't even remember where we were, Antonio. But this one no. sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. Why are there so many coaches today? Well, I think one reason, yes, managers are busier and managers are busier because the amount of work, the amount of information, everything has exploded. Yeah. And I think that the world is much more complex, right? I mean, if I think back to what my career options were coming out of my undergraduate or, or whatever, whichever one of my degrees, the plethora of options today That's is so true. astounding, right? Both for folks in like career transition, you know, out of college into work, there's a huge coaching industry around helping recent graduates, right? Yeah. Figure out next steps. And also, 
What we used to have a lot more of are mentors. And I know there are some amazingly successful, you know, I mentor and other mentoring programs, but we had mentors that did some aspects of coaching as well. And with more time pressure, busier lives, and also maybe shifts in just proximity, there are fewer mentors in many people's lives. And so how do you get what I like to say, someone who helps you reframe, Mm -hmm. someone who is your biggest cheerleader, and someone who holds up a very honest mirror? Because that's what you get from a coach. Does that help? Uh, Yeah. So, okay. So that was the question uh, around... (laughs) why we need more coaches today. Like, what's going on? Then I think the first question was about, oh my gosh, Antonia, I had it. Well, it was about delegating. It was about delegating to the folks at work and then delegating to folks at work for you, but not wanting to like kind of teach them what to do. And how do you sort of deal with that? I think we answered that. Yes, you did. And I think the one that, you know, and I, yes, I've been told this before. And I know that ADHD women can relate to this, especially, I think, hyperactive ones. We are always moving. We are so busy. We never have extra time. Many of us have no sense of time and how time passes. So we're always feeling like there's not enough time. There's not enough time. And so for me, the hardest thing, I hate meetings. I hate scheduling meetings. I hate sitting there for an hour. I especially hate Zoom. And if if we had meetings in person, I am the kind of person that would literally fight to get into the meeting. And then once the meeting started, I could be there for four hours if, you know, I liked what was going on and I wasn't bored out of my, you know, bored out of my gourd. And what you're saying is we need to make time for these people that work with us, period. Well, I have one other kind of hack to suggest. And I often say this to my coaching clients. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest strategies is to own your foibles, weaknesses, areas you're working on, whatever. Because if I say it to you, hey, listen, I know I can like send 20 emails to you and I should consolidate them into one. And I'm sorry, I'm trying, but hold me accountable. Give me pushback. I want this to work for you. If you own it, then it kind of makes you more real. It also gives them a way to talk to you about something that's not working, right? The best way to get feedback is to start by saying, listen, I'm working on X, Y, and Z. I don't know if you noticed that in me or do you have any other feedback for me? So applying that principle. Okay. I resemble that remark. Uh, And it is the way, it's almost like it's the only way that I can work. If there's someone that needs something, behave, A-L-E-X-A. So if there's someone that needs something, I will literally just forward that email to my assistant and I'll ask her to deal with it. And then you know how our brains work. Okay, we're doing this, and then all of a sudden this and that. And so it's not consolidated in one. She can get 25 emails from me, 
And I've always thought, well, that's how I work. That's how I work best. And she hasn't complained about it yet. But I totally do that. And sometimes I feel guilty. But that's okay. If it's not a problem, you don't need to solve it, right? Okay. If, and you're making me think about something else. I recently started, brought a new person onto my team. And I said to her, look, I want to explain a little bit. I, I said, I have an adult diagnosis of ADHD. And here's what you need to know about working with me. And being straightforward about it. And hey, if you think there's a better way, talk to me about it. Because my default will always be, I want you to explain it. Never ask me to learn it myself by reading something, Mm -hmm. you know, and other things. And like people who work for me get 20 emails a day. Now, I have one excellent, um, someone who works with me, contract basis, Emma. She will actually say, Antonia, please go put that in the spreadsheet. And I'm like, oh, God. I know. But I do it. But I do it. Yes. Yes, and, and every important. time I do it, I build that muscle. Yeah, true. Yeah. So she's kind of your executive function, right? She's there telling you, okay, now yes. you need to do this. I-, I love that, actually. Rather than, so if they're there and they tell me to do that, no problem. But if they send me an email and tell me to do that, I'll try. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you really work well with, you know, this term, I'm sure, a body double, right? Yeah. Yeah, Especially on the things that are difficult, right? Yeah. Having someone just there who, hey, are you still finishing the taxes or like just that physical presence? No, me neither. Never. I have to take a lot of medication to do taxes. I wish medication worked. And I guess that's my excuse for never doing taxes. But hey, I'm married to a banker. So I got lucky on that one. Privilege. So perfect follow-up question. Last question. This has been fascinating. I know that every situation is unique. Hmm. But I want to know how you feel about disclosing your ADHD in the workplace. So my workplace is my workplace, right? They come into my workplace. So it's a little bit different. Of course. I'm talking more about when you coach, especially C-suite executives. Like, what do they ultimately end up deciding and how does it work? So you know what, Tracy? I have to thank you because I am going to go and look at my bio after we finish. And I know there's something in my bio that says has a specialty or a special interest. But it doesn't say I have an adult diagnosis, I don't think. And I'm going to add that. Thank you. Wow, what a I don't gift. Think at least the bio that I saw didn't have that. Yeah, I'm going to add that. Then it's out there. And I feel totally comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. I don't lead with it. Mm-hmm. Now, if someone contacts me specifically about ADHD coaching, I will lead with it. Because personally, and I do think you have a depth of understanding about ADHD as someone who has that diagnosis. Yes. I just don't know how someone else can truly understand, but I won't say that in public because I'm sure there are people who are experts in helping folks with ADHD that don't have it, but that confounds me, but I'm sure it's possible. So I don't lead with it if it's just like Somebody contacted me this morning. I don't lead with it. 
mm-hmm. but I do if it's someone who has specifically contacted me about ADHD. And what about your C-suite executives? Do they ever come to you and ask or want to coach around, should I disclose because I'm struggling in these certain oh, yeah. areas? They do. And what is normally the upshot? Do they decide to keep it more close to the, because people don't really understand what ADHD looks like, right? And then everything you do, if there's a a mess up, is through that ADHD lens when it may have nothing to do with ADHD. Like anybody could have made that mistake. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you, this is a very fraught area, both legally and with HR policies. And I am hesitant to ever give any direction about something that I don't know enough about. First of all, it's a very individual decision and coaching is a judgment-free zone. Mm-hmm. I can't decide what's right for someone in, you know, I just never. I will ask clients to explore that and I will help them think about, well, what might happen? What's holding you back? What might be the advantages? And I have a lot of beautiful examples of folks that made the decision themselves and were my coachees, that the two are not necessarily the same thing, where they ended up like leading special interest groups in it in their in their companies, it, it becoming part of who they are as showing up as a whole person at work. So it worked well for them. Yes. But I have others who do not mm-hmm. talk about it. Yeah. And they tend to be in larger companies with Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, if you're if you're the CEO of a, a growing company, it's easier to disclose that, right? Than if you're already situated in a hierarchy where there isn't a lot of talk about neurodiversity. Though, I think those tides are turning. Yeah, that is my dream. Yeah. Can I tell yeah. you my dream? Last Tell thing. me your dream. Yeah. And I, yeah, I hope you're going to lead this because we need more conversations, right? Yeah. Yes. In more traditional corporations. My dream is that we stop talking about the superpowers of ADHD and we stop talking about the problems of it. And we just say it. Oh, yeah, I have ADHD. Different brain wiring, period. And then I say to you or they say to me, when, oh, okay. Are there accommodations that I can make to help with that? Or, or tell me, tell me what you need from me. Mm-hmm. And we have a conversation like that. That's my dream. We normalize it. It's just different brain wiring. I love it, Antonia. So what are the ADHD traits that you feel are responsible for your success? Mm. I am a seeker. I am driven by curiosity. I am mm-hmm. driven by shiny objects, usually of some kind of intellectual or physical pursuit. I don't want to overstep this, but I have enormous, enormous empathy, which I also think coexists very often in ADHD. Yes. And I am trying to lean in and own that creativity is also part of what comes from ADHD. I've never thought about myself as a creative until very recently. Yeah. Creative in thought, right? Just how you put ideas together. Right. So do you have a number one ADHD workaround? 
I would say exercise is the most important thing. I notice a huge difference if I don't do enough of it. It is part of every single day of my life, even if it's just walking. If I could say one thing to anyone who thinks they have ADHD or has a diagnosis, please exercise. Please exercise. Well, and like me, I seem to recall that you work out first thing in the morning, right? To kind of jumpstart everything. Do I have that right? I used to until I wrote the book. And then I realized I needed my brain in the early morning. So I had to shift. Yeah. So exercise doesn't really jumpstart your brain as far as writing goes, because I could never write if I didn't first work out. That's kind of, you know, this ladder. That's a great point. You know, that I start with. I wake up and that is my focus time when my brain is when totally my best time. Exercise to me is more like I think I need it every day to keep the engine in tune versus I need it to kickstart the engine. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, we both agree. I think exercise is my number one workaround as well. So Antonio, tell us where people can find you. Tell us, I mean, I'm assuming your book is available where all books are sold. Yeah. Amazon, Coach Yourself, Antonia Bowring. You'll find it really easily out today. And there's already like a $4 discount and it's available Audible, available Kindle. I'm on talk now, just talking about ADHD, Antonia Bowring 963. My website is a b. This is a bit. If I was doing it again, I'd do it differently. But there you go. A b hyphen strategies dot com. A b hyphen strategies dot com. You can contact me through it. My email's on there. Um, you can buy the book through it. It's all there. And then LinkedIn is just my name. Tell us the name of the book again. Coach yourself, increase awareness, change behavior, and thrive. Wonderful. And I just want everyone to know that we didn't schedule the color green, and we certainly didn't schedule the same color green, right? We did not. It just happened. It just happened. A meeting of ADHD minds. I love it. Thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. It was such a pleasure to meet you. So. That's what I have for you for today. If you like this episode with Antonia, please let us know by leaving a review. You know our goal. It's to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help in that regard. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka. Join us at ADHDforsmartwomen.com, where you can find more information on my new book, ADHD for Smartass Women, and my patented Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system to help you get unstuck and fall in love with your brilliant brain.